Welcome to episode 122 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, With the new school year, I got a new school placement and a new population I'm working with and everything's new. But with it came the opportunity to work with little kids again, and I was really excited. Mm. Um, But it brings a whole new set of challenges, too. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I forgot how to be like animated and entertaining (laughs) because I didn't need to do that so much with my high school students. Uh, So it's something I'm rediscovering and a couple of resources that I've probably mentioned before, but I think bear repeating as things that you can do with little kids that have helped me. Um, My number one go-to forever and always with little kids on telepractice will be go-go speech, green screen activities. (laughs) Uh, This week I had little kids like yelling at me that there was a dragon behind behind me and I had to you know like oh watch out there's a dragon and there was a chipmunk (laughs) stealing my food last week and the kids are like yelling and screaming but don't know that they're also working on all their language targets I had my Mm -hmm. three this is the ultimate like measure of it my three-year-old was at the door being mad that she couldn't come in and play too <laughs> so <laughs> i know it's working when i get that um mommy's my, having too much fun in there. right it does sound like way too much fun in there um the other thing that i is always so helpful with little ones is anything david sindry makes if i've got to do articulation with little kids he has lots of fun games that keep it mm-hmm. interesting keep it fun and a huge library of them so it won't ever get boring. Although I have one kid that requests Halloween meanies throughout the year. The entire school year he wants to play Halloween meanies. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that one is a always good. Um my other is uh websites like abcyaw.com. Um, have lots of things like make a pizza, make a cake, make a cookie. Just go on there and search make a and a whole list will come up of things that you can use for reinforcement, but also language. Um, and I'm not afraid of the fact that my kids can't touch the screen because it's great language opportunities. They get mm-hmm. to tell me every single thing I put on there. And uh, there's a lot of things on like, you know, just any site that you would go for for uh, younger kids, like PBS Kids is a great one. Um, but just having a lot of things in my back pocket that I can jump out and do with them is always helpful. The other thing I forgot to mention is don't be afraid to use toys that they have right in front of them. I think sometimes we're like, I have to keep their attention on the screen. And that's not age appropriate or you know, even desirable for them to want to do. So I've made sure that, you know, I've pulled some resources that the preschool had uh, right there in the room and just kind of, you know, became the coach and had someone else being the one interacting with them. So don't be afraid to go low tech too. Yeah, exactly. And and I keep reminding my grad students that the students can still play games and do all kinds of do things, you know, connect for, they can tell you where to drop, you know, the, right. the checkers or whatever it is, the, the little discs and uh, do all that thing. I mean, obviously there are digital versions of those games, yeah. but, 
but you don't have to have those sometimes. Yeah. I think if kids can sit for hours watching unboxing videos on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> then we shouldn't be afraid to be like using a toy true. on our side that they're just looking at. <laughs> true, true. And, and, and hours of watching other people play video games. Right. I mean, yeah. I wish I could have come up with that idea. Let's <laughs> let's build, you know, this whole world around watching other people play video games. Yeah. Yeah. Would have Or or you know, go to parks. Like the, that's basically what sure. Blippy is. He goes right. to a park and you watch him play. That's right. <laughs> Why would, you know, we could have been millionaires by now. Exactly. Exactly. We missed our chance. I know. So, who do we have on? I mean, we have a returning I, guest. We on. do, we do, and but she has a new last name and new mm. letters after her name, so right. you might not recognize her name when you see it. But it is the messy SLP, um, Doctor Danny Gaff, who uh, is going to talk to us about the um, research that she did and on imposter phenomenon, which I learned that it's phenomenon today, mm -hmm. too. And I, I just thought that this applied so much to telepractice because it's new for all of us. And I think we've all had a moment in doing telepractice where we've felt that I'm an imposter. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just think in the field of speech-language pathology and in telepractice, it fits in so well. So we're excited to hear from her. Let's hear from Danny. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Okay, we want to welcome Dr. Danny Gaff to the podcast. Uh, Danny, tell us some updates since the last time that you were on. Let's been a bit. So um, 2022 has been a year of, um, as my school has called it, name changes. Um, so in April, I got married and I am now Danny Gaff. And then in August, I graduated with my SLPD, my clinical doctorate. So then I got to tack a doctor onto that. And, you know, obviously my husband did too. He just asked <laughs> everybody else calls him Dr. Gaff as well. Because he had to sit through my presentation so many times that he feels like he knows the material as well. So um, yeah, and those are the updates. I'm in the elementary school still, and we're still cruising along, but we're on the, on our you know, it's not all teletherapy based now, which has been a big difference. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are my I've got a private practice now. I was gonna say oh, you wow. didn't mention that yet. Yeah, Your private practice. Yeah. I have a handful of kids um, that I see after school hours. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. It, like we said, keeps me busy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just so that people uh, understand who you are, you are Instagram famous as well as famous in other ways too. And explain uh, 
how you are Instagram famous? I am the messy SLP. Um, I found my little corner of the internet where I just kind of get to, um, which I feel like this is deja vu. This is kind of what we (laughs) talked about the last time Mm -hmm. Um, where I just kind of get to make videos that people, you know, relate to and kind of draw humor or poke fun at the things that we all deal with on our profession, um, specifically working with kids, because as we know, you know, every day that we work with kids, something funny comes up. I know my husband and I come home and we tell each other all these funny stories about <laughs> the things that these kids did. And so um, I do that. I try to make relatable content and try to encourage work-life balance and all of that. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that's how that is what has, that is what has drawn people to my account um, is just some hopefully relatable relatable content that maybe gives them a giggle and a bright spot in their day. Well, it certainly does. And (laughs) and you certainly have. And and so uh, it's, it's been great. Thank you. My kids ask to watch you. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I appreciate that. So you're you're big among the preschool crowd too, right? Right. Perfect. Excellent. Now I'm doing something right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Do you have a favorite one that you've done? A favorite reel? Recently, recently, I would say that the one that I did um, about all of the uh, fun words in our profession um, that my husband inevitably makes adult jokes about was probably one of my favorites, <laughs> mainly because he was like, that's awesome. I love that. So that's probably one of my favorites because it happened across whether you're in school. Right whether you're in med, adult, whatever. And so I got a lot of fun feedback from that one. That was fun. That was funny. I I did. That was one that I handed my husband the phone. He was like, you have to see this one. (laughs) And he he laughed too. Awesome. Or Tom Brady throwing the tablet because we all have kids who throw their tablet. And that was was Eric walks in. He goes, you got to do it again. You have to do that again. So when, when, because when you were on before, were you working on your doctorate at that point? Way back when? Yes. Because, you were. yes, I was. So it was two and a half years. I started in May of 2020. So I mm-hmm. was um, working on it. Yeah. Plus, we were in this house. So yeah, yeah, I was working on it. So it's been a long time. <laughs> That's okay. That's <laughs> well, okay. Okay. This is kind of a selfish question, but what, um, and for other people who might be wondering, what do you feel like adding the doctorate of um, clinical, the clinical doctorate, uh, what do you feel like that gave you? Um, I get that question a lot. So I'm really glad that you asked it because um, it's, for me, it first and foremost was a personal thing. So I remember sitting, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important for me to highlight. Um, because I remember sitting in orientation for master's program and they were introducing the SLPD students. And I went, what? You can get a doctorate in speech pathology, not a PhD, but like a clinical doctorate. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And ever since that day, it had been tucked in the back of my mind. Um, so it was something that intrigued me, not even like being in the field. It was something that I was like, okay, that's gotta happen at some point in my life. Um, so there was that personal fulfillment, right? It was something that intrigued me. 
Um, it was early in my relationship with my now husband. It was like, let's do it, you know, let's get this going. And so it was very much, there was a very big personal drive towards it in terms of, um, in my perfect or in my career, what it can add, there are a handful of things. So the number one thing is I wanted to, I didn't want to go the primarily academia route. I wanted the option to work clinically and not clinically as a clinical instructor or something like that. I really just, because at the end of the day, I love working in the clinic setting and in the clinical setting with the kids. Um, so I felt like the clinical doctorate would allow me to learn more about being a better clinician, which it has. Um, I wanted to better understand research. I feel like we get a little bit of it in grad school, but I really feel like there's so much research sometimes that being able to critique research was, was helpful. And I didn't, I didn't know as much as I do now. And I still feel like I barely know anything when it comes to like really dissecting and critiquing research, but, um, diving a little bit into the research world, because I think like most people in our field, at the end of the day, you have questions and you have so many questions. And then you also have so many things that you want to throw out. It was like, man, it would be really cool to be a part of research. And so throwing that in there, um, that was definitely a motivation. And then also the opportunity to teach if I ever wanted to. Um, I think that would be really, really fun. And the clinical doctorate, while a lot of programs are still, they would prefer a PhD, there is, you're starting to see more that an SLPD is an acceptable degree. Um, At least there are some schools out here in South Bend where that's an acceptable degree. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a long answer, but a little bit of personal and a little bit of professional, um, just in terms of my personal goals in this career. So, so are you going to become the, um, Dr. Messi SLP? (laughs) You know what? A couple of people asked me that (laughs) or somebody was like, are you going to be the Messi SLP doctor? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm so tied (laughs) to my little name that started as just this like, fun thing to do during the pandemic, but I don't know that I could change it. <laughs> you have to do one, you have to do some reels focused on doctoral work, what that experience was like. Yeah, I should. I really should. And I don't think I capitalized on it as much during the program because it was so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But inevitably, that's where most of the questions that I get, you know, why, why did you do it? What was it like? What was balance like? Um, stuff like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I really should. <laughs> Well, I, I agree that um, in a sense that I think that we will eventually in speech language pathology have a clinical doctorate. I think that will be the entry level eventually, just yeah. as audiology has gone. Um, for the most part, because our scope of practice keeps expanding and we right. can't we can't cover everything in two years in a master's program. No, it's super obvious that we just can't, we can't, I feel like you get a little taste of, you know, you get, you dip enough in each little area that you go, okay, I have a decent grasp on this that I can figure it out. But somebody said something on um, social media that they learned just about everything in the, when they were in the field. And it's like, man, okay, can we do better? So I agree with you. I do see it going that way because it's just such a huge scope of practice. It, it continues to, to expand every day almost. And and so it's, it's crazy being on the, putting on the other hat of being uh, in academia um, to, to get 
you know, constant updates and changes and then from Asha and everything like that. And it's like, we're, you know, like we get a new topic or a new area that we need to include in the curriculum. It's like, where are we going to put that? I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, right. What, what are we going to take out or spend less time on so we can put this new thing in? And it just, it drives you crazy. So anyway, yeah. uh, I do think we'll be there uh, probably in the next five to 10 years. I think we're going to see more and more programs going that direction. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of the clinical doctorate, you did a capstone. Mm-hmm. I did. <clears throat> on a topic that I think all of us have dealt with at one time or another, or constantly, <laughs> some of us, <laughs> and that is the imposter syndrome. Yeah. So, so let's jump into this topic because I'm, I really want to explore this and, and learn more about what you found out. Yeah. I mean, the hard part is I feel like it was just a taste. Um, and mm-hmm. because it was a, um, it was a single subject research design. So I only had six participants. And um, so we can't really generalize. It was really hard to draw, mm-hmm. you know, any clear conclusions. But, um, and I felt like I said this so many times in my actual write up. Um, I kept saying the data are encouraging, like we're very encouraged by that data because. Um, so when you're looking at imposter phenomenon, it's really just these feelings and it's, it's these feelings that really manifest themselves in different ways in different people. So the imposter phenomenon that I might feel is going to look different than how my husband, you know, how it might manifest in my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you could anecdotally say that's due to, um, you know, your history, past relationships with your parents and family members and clinical supervisors and all of that. but. My argument was um, because when I set out to go, I want to study this, my, uh, she ended up being my, um, I had a content expert, the name is escaping me. I had a content expert and she was my, she was my um, mentor. The name of the, her actual title is escaping me, but she, I came to her and I said, you know, I really want to study imposter phenomenon in grad students. She said, well, that's not quite in our field. So why? Which I'm so glad she asked me why, because that's Mm -hmm. huge. If I don't have a good why, you know, what's, what's the point? Am I doing it just to do it? And so my why was exactly what you said. This field is huge. I mean, it is massive and we really scrape the surface. We barely, barely get into the real like meat and potatoes of each individual subject. And then not only that, but we're then asked to do a clinical fellowship where you are walking alongside somebody and somebody is grading you essentially, right? You're being graded during your clinical mm-hmm. fellowship. And then after that, they go, okay, good luck. <laughs> right? And you're just like, okay, this is fine. You can I'm leave the fine. nest. Right. Like, and so my argument was, well, you know, and I don't have any data on burnout and speech pathology, but I am an N of one. And I know that like, I entered the field burnt out and I found myself myself getting my C's crying and going, this is the rest Mm. of my life. Like going, like, Mm. this is the job that I chose. Mm -hmm. I went to school for this much time. And I'm, it was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. Or it was a Saturday morning. I was in a coffee shop doing paperwork. um, And I was sobbing because I finally got my C's and I was so excited. And then there was this just, uh, like it's Saturday morning doing paperwork. <laughs> and so I feel like 
you know, I felt like the, just the way that grad school is grad school in general, there's a decent amount of research on grad school and imposter phenomenon. But then if you really hone into speech language pathology, you know, we have, however, I think there are, and you might be able to correct me on this. There are eight feel like eight areas within speech language pathology eight general areas like language Mm -hmm. and speech. Mm -hmm. And like, there are these huge areas that we are expected to know in, like you said, two years. And then we Mm -hmm. are sent off to treat kids who don't look the same. um, Mm -hmm. though They all have similar diagnoses and it was, and so we talked and I said, well, my why is because if we can get these grad students if we can get them tools, not a fix it, right? I don't anticipate that in any future research that anybody will be able to go, I have found it. Don't worry, everybody. I got it. But can we give grad students some practical and applicable tools that they can have in their back pocket where they go, man, I am struggling today. I need help. Here are some tools that I have. Because then we're not just equipping or we're not just helping grad students, but we're equipping them with things that are going to help them in the field because, you know, um, uh, compassion fatigue is real. There was a recent study in 2020 that looked at compassion fatigue along with imposter phenomenon in allied health students. Like you just go, this is an issue. (laughs) It really is an issue. And so the real drive behind it was just finding something that's applicable. Because if I go to a grad student and I say, hey, you have, you are, it sounds like you're having feelings of imposter phenomenon. Go ahead and go see a therapist for hours a week (laughs) and maybe, and please know, I am not discounting the benefits of therapy. If you know, it is at that point, but it's also like, I can't, or I can't say like, I'm recommending you do 30 minutes of mindfulness three times a day to help this. Right. Because then you're just adding to the plate, which then exacerbates stress. But finding something, so we studied five minutes, just five minutes of guided affirmations, and we wanted to see if there was an improvement there. Again, we can't draw conclusions, but some people, um, I believe four of the six participants had a, um, had a significant increase, I'm sorry, decrease in their imposter phenomenon scale score, which was encouraging. And then the self-confidence rating that I gave after each session Um, those actually didn't change significantly and they didn't, uh, we did an ABAB withdrawal design. So we withdrew the intervention during the B I'm sorry, during the, we had the baseline phase with no intervention. We then introduced the intervention, we withdrew it and then introduced it again. We didn't really see anything significant in terms of the self-confidence, but we did see an overall increase in five of the six participants. It wasn't statistically significant, but it was enough to make us go, hey, maybe they feel a little bit better. Um, and mm-hmm. even outside of that, I feel like it just uh, it spurred so many more questions about where could research go in this specific area, because there's so many things that you can, that you just go, well, what about this? And what about this? And that was how, that was what most of this research experience was is we ended up our conversations going, we could study this. And what about, what do you think about this? And we just kept mm-hmm. running down all of these areas that we wanted to explore after having done this study. So it was really awesome. So did you find that certain people may be more susceptible to imposter uh, phenomenon or, or, 
You know what and I'm saying? Yeah. Would, would, would some people be uh, red flags in a sense? If, I, if I'm, so if I am a, a professor, which I am, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm working with grad students, so I do that every day. So if, you know, what should I be watching for? Are there certain traits that will be like, you know, red lights going on, like this is a someone who's going to need some extra help versus this one who's just quiet and, and shy, but she's really getting it or he's really getting it. So any, any ideas around that? Well, there's some common characteristics of somebody who's feeling imposter phenomenon. And one thing is the discounting praise, right? You know, you did great today. Ooh, no, you know, and mm. which we all do that. I know that, um, you know, it's like you get complimented on your shirt and you're like, it was $5. It's not really <laughs> right. like you really try to like discount it, but it's really, it's more than that. It's going, Hey, you know, you did a really great job as your client. And that person is going, Oh no, no, no. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. Um, there's a fear of evaluation is one of the characteristics mm. of imposter phenomenon, okay. um, which there are a lot of evaluations Oh, yeah. In grad school, right? Not, <laughs> not just tests, but you have somebody watching you do, you're having somebody watch you do therapy and then you're getting notes on that. And that can cause, there's that fear of evaluation, right? Um, there's the discounting praise. There's just an overall lack of self-confidence. Um, so those are some of the more common characteristics um, in imposter phenomenon. And each participant, there's a an imposter phenomenon scale um, by Dr. Pauline Rose Clance. She oh. is queen. And like when I got <laughs> permission to use her scale, I was beside myself. And, um, and that scale is what we used as our initial, that's how we got our pretest score. And there are different characteristics, um, different things that it measures. Um, something, another thing is that people attribute any success that they have, which is kind of the broader definition that goes a little bit broader is that they attribute any success that they have to, it's just luck. I had nothing to right. do. Right. Right. Which is similar to discounting praise, but it's really, you're really not attributing anything that you did to any of the hours that you have put in anything like that. And yeah. I still do that. Like people yeah. will say, well, how'd you get into grad school? Yeah. I don't know. I think I just got, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't. <laughs> Somebody must've been slacking that day because uh, they let me in. <laughs> um, that's another big one. And, and then the opposite too. If anything bad happens, that's my fault. Yeah. The good, the good things were luck. The bad things were my fault. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And the hard part is, is it would be nice to just, it would be nice to give every student a personality test and go, well, these types of personalities are, more predisposed to imposter phenomena, but the research is kind of out on that as well, because there were some, um, there was some research that looked at perfectionism Mm -hmm. and imposter phenomenon. Um, but my, the most interesting one to me was, um, it was, uh, if you suffer imposter phenomenon, you can't have high, feelings of imposter phenomenon, or at least during in this research, right? They didn't find any participants that had high feelings of imposter phenomenon and high feelings of, and the word is escaping me. I'm having word finding issues, essentially grace with oneself, right? Like Mm -hmm. you never, 
they didn't find any participants that had high levels of both. Um, it was if you had low imposter phenomenon, you had a lot of grace with yourself. And if you had higher imposter phenomenon, you didn't have a lot of grace, which I know, like I'm hard on myself. And I know a lot of SLPs who I talk to who they're like, at the end of the day, which if we look at our schedules, like I have 72, <laughs> I have a caseload of 71 now. And I am cramming that into four days because I That's have like the other day. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. Right. And so at the end of the day, I am going, man, did I do as well as I could have? And it's like, well, the schedule's not really conducive to that. So right. like I can't plan these elaborate things. And so um, anyways, you know, there's not a lot of grace there because Sometimes you go, I only have 20 minutes. Did I capitalize on those 20 minutes? I don't know. You know, Susie looked like she was not engaged. And, you know, so it's just this cycle. Um, and then uh, there is the imposter cycle. I'm glad I said cycle. Ooh. There's the imposter cycle, which uh, I very much engaged in my entire capstone. Um, and that is the procrastination. And I... <laughs> I, you'll hear people say like, well, I do better under pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. I do really well with a deadline or I do really well close to a deadline. And as I say that I, that is me, um, (laughs) you know, no, I I'll procrastinate and I'll work myself up and I, you know, I'm going to be anxious leading up to this, but I'm going to continue to procrastinate because I'm terrified to fail and I'll just keep procrastinating and procrastinating And then when I probably do well on it, because I am a skilled clinician, I am semi-knowledgeable. When I do well, I will not at all take any ownership over that success. I'll go, yep, that's why I procrastinate. I just do well under pressure. And that's the (laughs) imposter cycle, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're attributing it to like the situation rather than yourself. Yep. I, yeah. It has nothing to do with me. I was just, I do, I do really well under pressure. That's exactly. Yeah. And I, as I was reading uh, research, I'm going, Oh no, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Very humbling to read about imposter phenomenon yeah. and look in the mirror and go, yep. Yep. I checked all the boxes. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question because it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. No, I think that helps. Yeah. So I have a question. Uh, so it's, you know, a common um, phrase that's thrown around today is fake it until you make it. Yes. <laughs> I. So what do you think about that? Okay. Based so on your I research. Am, I'm, I can say I'm 50, 50 um, and I'm 50, 50 because the, there's 50% of me personally that I go, yep. Sometimes you just have to walk in like you own the room, (laughs) you know, you don't think you do. Um, So I do think that there are some times where you do like, it's the same. It's like, you know, I dress like I had a big meeting the other week and I walk in and I'm like, I'm wearing the nice pants. I'm wearing the fancy red (laughs) shoes. I look the part because by golly, I don't feel the part. Right. I think like Mm -hmm. fake it till you make it in that regard. I'm going to dress the part because I need to present myself confidently. Right. That part of it, I'm like, yep, I get it. But from, if you're looking at, like, you'll hear it in grad school, students will go, well, I'll just fake it till I make it. And I did that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that really, because then there's no ownership over, Mm -hmm. I'm a good clinician. I think that further, and this is not, this is all anecdotal and really based on my N of one, 
I really don't think if you're looking at that, um, one of the characteristics of imposter phenomenon being not attributing any success to yourself, if you fake it till you make it and you have a great session, you're not going to go, man, you did a great job. You're going to go, woof, woof, you got away with that one, right? Like you're not, there's no <laughs> mm-hmm. ownership there. There's yeah. no like, right. uh, I did this. It's really like, man, you fooled them. You did it. And that's not, that just further can contribute to any of these feelings of imposter phenomenon. Yeah. So what was, you talked about a a little bit about some affirmations, what in your research or in your own experience, have you found that helps that imposter syndrome? So, um, the, it's more, there were research articles that I was able to kind of piece, like where I saw a link, there was something in one article that linked to another, and I wanted to link these two concepts together. So there's really not a whole lot of research on self-affirmation and imposter phenomenon. However, there is research on on the self-compassion. That's having grace with oneself. It's the self-compassion. I knew it would come back Mm -hmm. to me. Um, So the self-compassion piece Because in imposter phenomenon, there was one article, I believe, that talked about self-compassion, the article that I just said, where lower levels of self-compassion and higher levels of imposter phenomenon, vice versa. Um, And so because of that article, that's where I brought the affirmations in, because affirmations and self-compassion can kind of go together. And so the articles that I read about self-compassion focused on broad affirmations. So those were the affirmations that I presented to my participants. It's not, I'm a good SLP because there are some days I am not the best SLP and that's just the way that it is. Or there are days where, you know, you don't get your deadlines met or you didn't do everything that you wanted to do, right? The broad affirmations are, I am a good person. I am capable, right? These really broad things. So I'm not looking at I'm a good wife. I'm a good SLP. I am this very specific thing, but more of these broad attributes that you really want to be. And I assigned the broad affirmations. I said, this is what we're doing for the purpose of this study. However, I think it would be interesting to allow people, what are, what do you want to be in life? Do you want to be a good person? Do you want to be, you know, what do you think, or what do you see yourself being, What would you like to be? Stuff like that. So you're focusing on the broad picture. And the idea is that when you're in a, and again, these are all these different articles linking together, but when you're in a, um, when you're ruminating over failure or or a perceived failure, right? This, if you have these broad affirmations in your back pocket, you're able to zoom out on that specific failure incident, quote unquote failure incident, right? You're able to zoom out and go, hey, I'm a good person. I'm doing my best. I am capable. I am, you know, I persevere all of these things. You're able to zoom out. So you're not focused as much on that small failure, but now you're focused on the big picture. Who are you in the broader perspective? And so that's kind of what I saw in the research was that broad self-affirmation can be beneficial in the self-affirmation and helping when we're ruminating over failures. Again, quote unquote failures. Yeah, I think that's great. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. 
So now I have to ask, are you still at a coffee shop on a Saturday morning doing paperwork, <laughs> nope. wanting to quit your job? Nope. Nope. <laughs> and, and, and how did you get out of that cycle? <laughs> I just said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking work home. Um, I can count on one hand the amount of times I have brought work home in terms of like my first year doing progress reports in the school. I vastly underestimated how much work that was. And so I did take work home that night. And I was up until 10 doing them. I don't do that anymore. Um, I will, you know, somebody asked me, I think on Monday, how do you tell coworkers that you're not staying after? And I legitimately, I mean, I was trying to be funny. I said, no money, no worky. I'm not doing it. Like if you're not paying me, this is what my contract says. If you want to pay me on claim for this meeting, I will be there. Now there are, um, stipulations to that. If a meeting goes over 10 minutes, I'm not submitting a claim for it. But if somebody is asking me to stay for an hour or 30 minutes to an hour after contract time, I'm saying, okay. And I preface it with, am I going to get paid for this? And then if I, you know, if, if it's like, well, we'll ask, I'm like, okay, I might, like, I have other obligations after school. I'll do my best to be there. Um, and I think just being comfortable with saying that and establish, like I established that very early on here in the school. And, um, I've never, I've actually had coworkers go, that's awesome. Good. Yes. Go home. Mm -hmm. Or I also have a supportive staff that like today we were in a meeting and it hit three and we all went, bye, we're out. Like we, you know, it's three o'clock. That's our time to go. And so mm-hmm. I think it's nice that I do have coworkers who support that, but I really just started just going, this is not, it's a non-negotiable for me. I get to decide if I want to take work home. And so sometimes I will mm-hmm. bring home research articles or I'll bring home a device that I want to toy around with for a kid, but that's all stuff. One, I enjoy that's going to fill my cup. It doesn't feel like it's emptying it. And, um, also getting organized with deadlines and stuff like that has really like, because I am a mess that really caused a lot of stress my first two years. But once I found a system that worked for me, that's been super helpful this year because I feel like my workload's higher this year, but I'm still so far not taking work home. But I think just making it a non-negotiable, it's a non-negotiable for my marriage. Like if I am constantly bringing work home, like what does that do to my marriage? Right. Looking at that ripple effect. Um, I think having private clients after school has also helped me immensely because I'm able to go, I cannot stay. I am done. I have another obligation. So, um, yeah, I try to just make it a non-negotiable for myself. It's super hard because it's tempting. Like, well, I'll just stay and I'll just get it all done. But I've got to, I've got to figure that out still because like my work is literally in my home. So not taking work home. That would be hard. I don't know how to, I I know, I know. And I've had, I've had some like, um, you know, social workers and like people, just friends that I've talked to that they've been like, they did things like put, they had their desk in their bedroom. They had nowhere else to put it, but they would put a sheet over the desk at the end of the day to be like, this is my visual physical reminder. I am done. So, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm still piecing together like a kid is napping. I have to lay yeah. with him while they go to sleep. I'm going to finish this paperwork. Right. But I like, the, I like the idea of, you know, setting hard and fast boundaries of when this is going to happen and how this is yeah. going to happen. And I'm not doing it after this point. Yeah. And that's just, it, it's just helpful. And I, have, I had to do that with social media. So when I first got into social media, 
I mean, Eric and I would be sitting on the couch at nine o'clock at night trying to wind down and I'm going, well, I have to answer questions. And, um, I got burned out. Like I really got burned out on it. I didn't enjoy it. And so I had to do that with social Mm -hmm. media. And I think, you know, wherever my career takes me, the next position I hold, I know that there's going to be like, I feel like it's this constant, you have to keep reminding yourself, no, 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 this is my standard, right? My standard is this because it's a cycle and there's, you start a new position or you get a new caseload of kids and you go, Oh, I have to go into overdrive because I have to get things done because I have to be awesome because that's what they expect. And (laughs) so it's always, I think it's a cycle for sure. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I was trying to remember when you were on before, did you do our moment of Zen? I don't think so. I was going to no. say, I think she might have been pre-moment of pre-Zen. Zen. <laughs> you were pre-Zen. Yeah. So our moment of Zen, we ask you 10 questions okay. from a list of questions. We have three okay. different lists, lists A, okay. B, and C. Perfect. And you can choose which list you want, list A, list B, or list C. Let's do list A. Ooh, okay. All right, here we go. What's the most used app on your phone? Instagram. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, what was the last TV show or movie that you stream? Um, Abbott Elementary. Oh, that's, oh, that's cute. That's yeah. a good one. So funny. Uh, I've only watched, I think, like the first episode of the first season, and then I was waiting for the rest of it to come out on streaming yeah. services, and I was like, I got to get back to that. It was so funny. Oh, good. It's really good. Um, what's a favorite book? Ooh, a favorite book. Okay. It's Stargirl. I know that's, I read it in fifth grade and I've gone <laughs> back to it year after year and I love it so much. So don't judge me on it, but that I'm happen. not judging. <laughs> is it, is it, uh, is it, was it why lit? Is that right? It's a youth literature. What was that? Is it youth literature? Kind of. Yeah. It's a Jerry Spinelli book. So it's really mm. easy to read. It's just so pure and lovely and it's so good. I really encourage it for an easy read. That's awesome. Um, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? If I had to create every, create a law or behavior that everybody has to follow, mm-hmm. nobody can take work home. <laughs> I like it. There you go. Um, next question is who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? My mom, very much so. That's an easy one. <laughs> okay. Good. Um what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you want. Um, the scariest thing I've ever done. I'll do the like scary. I went skydiving and that was the scariest thing I've ever done. Jumping out of an airplane is terrifying. That that would be scary. Yes. Okay. Um, where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been? I've been to China. That is the farthest. Very nice. Yes. It was lovely. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? writing. Very good. What is a pet peeve that you have? Um, a pet peeve. 
Ooh. I, I would say a pet peeve of mine is technology in front of the face when I'm talking. Um, <laughs> I know that's so self-centered and my poor husband reaps, you know, I mean, poor guy, but I don't, when there's a phone and I'm talking, I feel like I'm like, hello. Mm-hmm. So that's a pet peeve. Mm-hmm. I can uh, agree with you on that. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Uh, last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's yeah. what I would like to hear. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, we, we think you will hear just that and many more things. Uh, so if if people want to reach out, obviously they can reach out to you on Instagram at the mm-hmm. Messy SLP. Yeah. How else is that the best way to reach out? That's the best way to reach out. Um, if I sometimes I'll go through waves where my DMs are flooded and you get requests and all of that that are on a separate screen. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it can get to be a lot. So I really appreciate if somebody goes, Hey, she never answered, DM me again and put it at the top of my inbox because I'm really not trying to be a jerk and not reply, but it just gets to be a lot sometimes. So yes, that is the best way. And please be a squeaky wheel and DM me multiple times because I will try to get to it at some point because I love (laughs) connecting. That's my favorite part about Instagram is the connection. So yep. Yep. On uh, the messy SLP. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. And, and oh, thanks for having me. And when you get your next doctorate, you'll come back and, <laughs> and uh, tell us about that one. Perfect. <laughs> well, that was Dr. Danny Gaff, the messy SLP, as some people may know her, talking about a very important issue that I think we all have dealt with at, at some point in our careers or in our lives, and that is imposter phenomenon. And I just really appreciate her being with us on this episode to talk about this topic and to share some of the insights that she gained uh, in doing the research when she just finished her clinical doctorate, which congratulations again, Danny, on getting that clinical doctorate behind you. And thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new subscribers and, and, um, that's always appreciated. So until next week, we will be back definitely next week with another episode. And until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.